And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to... Parasite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 194 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Negley, at time of recording, 11.06 a.m. on Sunday, May 17th. 2020. Happy Cannes Film Festival. Oh, wait a minute. Darn. Shoot. <laughs> Don't <sighs> remind us. We will talk about that here on this week's episode. Here to help join me, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello. Happy Sunday, everyone. Bianca Gardner. Hey. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Rebecca Daniel. Hey, everyone. And how could I forget Dan Bear? What is time, really? <laughs> Time is a flat circle. <laughs> <laughs> I have never believed that more than in this past couple of months. <laughs> it was ahead of its time. Uh, <laughs> so we have a lot to go over uh, this week. It's interesting because the news cycle has been uh, kind of slow lately. Uh, you know, right around this time is when the Cannes Film Festival uh, should be happening and people should be over in France. We should be getting some really great premieres. The international um, category should be opening up to all types of contenders for world cinema. And it's not happening. And that's really, really sad. Uh, here's hoping that Venice uh, can be the first film festival that we do have back in our lives. Although, if one is paying attention to the news cycle, businesses across the country are starting to slowly reopen here and there which you know trial and test period and we can see if um you know the rates for coronavirus uh do spike up as a result or if they stay steady uh but i do think it does give us a little bit of hope possibly for the fall and other film festivals uh that are going to want to reemerge, um, especially um if can decides to have a film festival still this year just not now yeah, I think we're done for the year. Honestly, I, I think you know, we see some progress. Yeah, I, I really do. I think there's going to be a second wave that's far worse than what we're seeing now. And any <laughs> plans people have for the fall are just going to be pushed to next year. I'm sorry to sound so dour at the beginning. So no fall film festivals, like nothing, basically. Uh, I think they might find creative ways to be doing things in different areas of the country than they would normally or make things accessible online. But if the trends that we're hearing about do come into fruition by late fall, I can't see how they're going to be having people congregate at film festivals, let alone in theaters. I really think everyone's going to have to brace for another, you know, whirlwind where everything's just, you know, thrown up in the air and the pieces fall where they may. And I'm usually the optimistic one here. So that's like, I know a shock for some of you. I'm very shocked. Anyone have a counterpoint to Michael? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me get this straight. Let me let me understand this correctly. You guys don't think theaters are going to attempt to reopen in the summer. You guys don't think the fall film festivals are going to happen, period? Or do you think there's going to be some sort of a version of them? So, so here's my, my the one place where I differ from Michael. Like, I think that 
theaters will reopen. I mean, we're already seeing, um, you know, restrictions and whatever. That's the new stuff being put into place that is allowing drive-in theaters to open. Um, so, and I think there are, even though they may be a minority, there are clearly people in this country who are ready to, you know, as far as I'm concerned, take their lives and their well-being into their own hands and say, fuck it all and go out and do stuff and go about their lives as, as usual or normal, whatever the hell that even means anymore. And so I do think that we will see theaters open in some capacity at some point between now and the end of the year. But I think that he's right on film festivals. They are not going to exist as we have known them this year, because I think there are two, especially, um, especially I think the stars and directors and publicists and all these things, I think those people are much more cautious than your average person, at least in the United States. And I don't think there's going to be that big congregation of so many people in one space for a film festival, especially since, you know, they can go digital in some way. I think the film festivals may happen, but I think they're going to be very different. Yeah, I, I can agree about that. And I think that the talent not being there is going to be the big deciding factor because you're right. You're going to get film fans that'll probably say, eh, I'll take my chances because I really want to go to this. But are the actors and directors going to go? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. It's funny because as um as as you guys were just saying this, I, I just saw out my window uh, a couple pushing uh, a, a look, look like a, you know, small kid. He's in a stroller and uh, he's got a. Um, protective mask like over his face and it it just like it it was very very uh, coincidental that that just happened um you know and i'm thinking a lot about life as we know it or what we're used to in this cycle of cinema and in the award season calendar it's just not going to happen the same way think about this too think about how they always have these parties and these tributes and all these gatherings of people so that uh, one can campaign for their film. What is that going to look like due to social distancing? I don't think it's going to happen at all. And as a result of which, what kind of other tactics will we see deployed in award season for films to get a push for someone's uh, vote within the Academy? I, I can't say. I don't know. Well, that I actually do have a good answer to, because I'm going to take a page out of what Joe Biden's doing right now. He has his home studio in his basement in uh, his home in Wilmington, and he's been using it to call into different television shows or, you know, over the phone into radio shows and do uh, online forums and discussions. And he's able to do them localized to certain areas. So, you know, it's nothing for someone to. I'm not saying they have to have a studio, but nothing for them to get on Skype or Zoom or some sort of platform like that and be able to host a Q&A or a talkback or something related to Oscar season like we've seen in the past. Just have it all be virtual. Yeah. And now I think I, I think virtual definitely will be uh, the route to go. It'll just be very interesting to see what creative ways people come up with to. I mean, for all we know. Maybe there'll be a different type of campaign strategy uh, deployed altogether 
unlike anything that we've typically seen before, where they try to take the same tactics and transfer them over to digital. Maybe it'll be something completely different, something that we've just never seen before. Well, I think it's going to have to be. You yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. Like you said, the normal ways of campaigning are just not going to be available this time. And, you know, I will admit that I am curious as to what we're going to see. I mean, this is something that we've never experienced before. So taking that campaign that we're normally so used to and trying to figure out a way to innovate that in a new platform, you know, that could be very fascinating and would probably be there even after we get through this crisis. Well, I have a great idea. Why don't people start making personalized flu masks and then you know with their sort of branding on there with uh the all the stuff about their film mm. there you go oh, <laughs> i kind of dig that actually <laughs> yeah, COVID swag bag oh my god <laughs> that needs to happen totally. i would yeah i mean oh that god that is go- definitely gonna happen yeah yeah <laughs> We're going to see a mask that says, like, for consideration in all categories. Um, (laughs) This is all kind of tying into another piece of uh, news that uh, came out actually this week. So uh, very quietly, um, I didn't see this get a tremendous amount of coverage. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences um, actually updated their documentary rules uh, for this year. And basically, in the past, if a film was accepted into a film festival or a couple, it was not enough to get a qualification. They had to win a prize at a film festival in order to qualify. Uh, But now they're kind of lifting those restrictions a little bit more to allow films to qualify. Um, If a documentary film is just either announced or programmed as a selection by one or more qualifying film festivals. So... Once again, kind of like what we talked about a couple weeks ago here, it looks like the Academy is opening up the ability to accept movies that normally would get nominated. I want to like reiterate this because a lot of people think these new rules by the Academy, especially from a couple of weeks ago, meant that something like, uh, say, Swallow, which is awesome, by the way, really, really awesome VOD indie film, uh, would be nominated for Best Picture. And it's like, no, they're, they're instituting these rules for this year to ensure that the movies that typically do get nominated still do get nominated, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So I think in that regard, there's been a, a lot of different ideas about what the Oscars are going to look like this year, not just in terms of nominations, but also to, like we just talked about, just in terms of presentation uh, with rules for social distancing. And, you know, Michael, to your point, if things do get worse and there is a second wave, could we be in the fall looking at a situation where the Oscars don't happen altogether? Now, I do think that there will be still some sort of a, you know, announcement like the Golden Globes where they just read off the winners that one year in 2007. It was, I think, right? Yeah, 2007. Yeah. So something like that, I'm sure will still happen, but. The idea of everyone getting dressed up, stars, directors, like you guys said, going to a party. <laughs> oh, no, not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, even by early next year, that still seems unlikely to me. Yeah. Um, okay, so didn't mean to start this off on a very dour note, necessarily. <laughs> Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but this is all very interesting because I feel like every bit of news that we do see this week, um, and including a trailer that we're going to talk about here today, everyone is optimistic and hopeful that theaters will be reopened and that we will be able to continue on as normal as we head into the fall. And as we get closer and closer and closer, I just don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think anyone that says that they do know, doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty right now, and we're trying yeah, to hold uh, on to optimism. But, you know, as the weeks go by, you just have to kind of look at what you've got in front of you and act from there. And, yeah, we're hoping that maybe by the fall theaters can be open, but I, I doubt that they'll be open to the capacity that they were before. And that's going to transform how we watch these movies, how we review these movies and how we uh, talk about them going forward. Yeah. Speaking of talking about movies, uh, let's talk about what movies we uh, caught up on this week. Michael, let's start off with you. Oh, this week. Uh, oh, my God. I'm trying to think what I did see this week. Well, definitely nothing in the theater. I could tell you that much. But uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Did I see anything? I don't think I saw any new movies this week. I watched a lot of uh, television, as I've been doing lately. Uh, caught up with uh, Watchmen. I'm just about to finish that. That's been very good. Regina King for everything. Uh, Dead to Me on Netflix is very entertaining. And then I started Defending Jacob on Apple TV+, Plus, which I'm liking quite a bit. Nice. Good. I'm glad you're liking that. I I was pretty like even keel on defending Jacob, but then the ending like wowed me. So I'm I'm excited for you to get caught up on it and get to that point. It's pretty wild. Um, alrighty, let's hear now from Bianca. Bianca, I know you've been watching a lot. You've been uh, telling everyone on Twitter you've been, what you've been watching the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's been great. I've been loving this because these this is my like perfect time to catch up on all these films I haven't watched. Um, yesterday, I watched Cries and Whispers um, oh, by Bergman. Yes! Which is just magnificent. I mean, oh, just the beautiful use of color in that film is so, it's just mm -hmm. so hypnotic to watch. Um, I, I was just, I'm still processing it at the moment uh but uh it's i just every time i watch a bergman film i just like it's it's like nothing else i have ever seen before and i thought i've seen uh quite a lot of his films but i realized that he's directed like over a hundred or something crazy like that and i've only seen like 12 percent of that on according to um my little uh, letterbox uh, tally that I'm keeping so I need you know I need to keep up with that um, what else did I watch this week um, I watched the Brian De Palma film Blowout oh man yeah which is so good mm -hmm. I mean I'm You're not a fan all the best movies <laughs> <laughs> well I'm not a fan uh, of John Travolta I don't know I maybe because I've only I've never really seen anything that he's starting as a young actor I've only seen like stuff like um the fanatic and battlefield Earth. oh my god <laughs> <laughs> um so i'm basing my john travolta uh impression on that uh but in blowout it was fantastic and i watched it with headphones on it was like a pure <laughs> sound experience it was fantastic uh also watched sherlock jr uh got a love a bit of buster keaton never fails to cheer me up yeah and um yeah that's the main films that I've been watching, there's been other films that I've been keeping a track on, but 
it's it's been great i mean i've seen some real classics and it's just so wonderful to have the time to sit down and actually watch a film all the way through without having to get distracted or uh you know being in a rush to go somewhere because i've got nowhere to go so it's it's perfect <laughs> yeah <laughs> nice very very nice uh josh parm what about you well it's been another week of kind of trying to balance between stuff i haven't seen before and then just sort of those comfort movies that i just felt like watching again but in terms of the new stuff uh the first thing i actually caught this week uh is this movie called judy and punch which <gasps> oh wow yeah mm-hmm. I guess you could describe it as like the dark origin story of the puppet characters. Um, oh, I suppose you could describe it that way. Um, it, but it's a movie that I kind of feel like it, it's good, but it doesn't really do much else than what's sort of on the screen. It sort of has a very straightforward type of story, and I sort of wanted a little bit more from it. But I can tell you that Mia Wasikowska is so good. I mean, she's great in everything, and I really loved her in it. So if you have to see it, I would say seek it out for her. Uh, and then after that, I, for the very first time, actually, saw Cold Mountain. I'd never seen this movie before. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and uh. <laughs> didn't, didn't really like it all that much, uh, I gotta say. It was fine. Like, I didn't hate it, but it definitely felt like two and a half hours, I, I have to say. Um, there were and some thoughts on that that were made in the making of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> One of them being an Oscar-winning performance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know... How unfortunate. I, you know, I I like Renee, and I can understand why she won, yeah. but it's, um... It's, it feels like you would give that an Oscar if you'd never seen anybody give any acting performance before. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's not bad but it does seem like you don't know how to judge acting if you've seen that and if you and think that's an oscar winning performance you know what cold mountain is to me um listen i'm one of those people that likes the english patient quite a bit actually yeah it's great uh, but cold mountain to me really does feel like it's desperately trying to recapture that lightning in a bottle again aka this is an Oscar bait film if I've ever seen one. Oh, it totally thought, is. Yeah. Miramax by committee. That's what it is. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, Jude Law and Nicole Kidman, why are you together? Oh, because you're both hot. That's the reason. Yes, I'm right. basically. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and oh, and hi, Natalie Portman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that movie's got definitely a who's who cast of people where when they pop up, you're like, uh, oh, and uh, oh. Oh, Charlie Hunnam is in it. Oh, see, I didn't know. <laughs> no, yeah, and it's so weird because like I remember that movie coming out, and I remember around that time, and I remember that Oscar year, and just like <laughs> everyone was talking about Renee Zellweger in that movie. I mean, that's yeah, just what it—that's can... just what it was, and it's because that movie is so long and boring, and like. <laughs> misjudged as her performance is it's a jolt of energy <laughs> it was also coming off the heels of chicago so yeah there's that yeah she is definitely a 
bright spot that comes in into mm. a very dull story. And I can understand why people would be transfixed by that. But years removed from the Oscar race, Stop. it it's not a good performance. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, but then after that, uh, the last kind of newer thing that I saw is this movie called Someone Somewhere, which is a mildly amusing French drama about depressing young people. So that kind of gives you an image of what that <laughs> movie probably is like. Sounds like a French film. Yeah. Truthfully, I only saw it because the lead actor was hot. So it was fine. And I mean, was- there are worse reasons <laughs> to watch a movie. So absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All righty. Uh, Rebecca, what about you? I have also been catching up on a lot of TV. I watched uh, the second season of Dead to Me. Oh, and I nice. That was really entertaining. Yeah. And I've also been watching Defending Jacob. I'm enjoying that a lot. Nice. And it is kind of difficult to wait like each week. I'm like, I just want to binge it all now. Yeah. But yeah. It's fine. I'll just wait. And I also watched um, The Lighthouse for the first time. Oh. Um, yeah, that was crazy. That it is. Yeah. But the acting was great, and the cinematography was beautiful in it. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm always a fan of those like two-hander, almost uh, play-like movies where it's just two actors just working off of each other pretty much for the whole runtime. It's always a yeah. lot of fun. All righty, uh, Dan Bear. So I have, like um, many of the other people, mostly been watching a lot of TV. I find that I have difficulty sitting for long periods of time in front of the the TV screen at the moment, being that, you know, all my day is working from home in front of the computer screen. But I have also watched some movies, some new, some old, some favorites, some not so favorites. Um, I this week I plunked down the money to rent Ben Zeitlin's Wendy. Oh, mm. you didn't tell me this. No, because, <laughs> um, <laughs> it I I didn't say anything because I really don't know what to think about it. Yeah. You know how I talked about before how Cole Mounds were trying to recapture the English patient magic? This is clearly trying to recapture yeah. Beasts of the Summer Wild magic. I, yeah. And I don't know if it's self-consciously trying to recapture that magic or this is just the kind of filmmaker that he is. I, I'll be able to tell you that after a third film, probably. Exactly. Like, yeah. this is his second movie. So I – and there is so many – interesting things going on in this movie agreed yeah and it it just i uh, it, it really doesn't come together in the way that beast of the southern wild did uh, but i i i respect it in a lot of weird ways like for going there oh no like the ways that they try to adapt the story uh to a more grounded like aesthetic and then also yeah. like the child performances, they're all unknown first time actors, which is I, yeah. incredible. And the cinematography yeah. is at times very gorgeous. And that score is still my favorite score of the year. Oh, God. Yeah. Same with Beasts, like the cinematography and score, particularly together, it's magical. And, and then just what they do with the story is it's 
interesting, but I does it does it work? I don't I don't know. Yeah. I I definitely felt my attention drifting at points and then at other points I was just transfixed. Um mostly because of the cinematography, honestly, and the mm. music. Um but it's definitely like I mean it, you can rent it for 5.99 on Amazon, which is a lot less than a ticket to see it in the theater would cost you, so I would recommend seeing it to have your own opinion, but um it's not I, I don't think the Oscars are going to love this the way they did Beasts of no. the Southern Wild. No. Um, unfortunately, because I really do love Ben Zeitlin. Even so, after seeing this, I love him and think he's one of the more interesting uh, new filmmakers to come out in this decade. Is he new still? <laughs> it's been a while <laughs> since Beasts. I said <laughs> new filmmakers to come out this decade. Okay, fair, fair. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he, he's certainly more interesting than a lot of the the people who have gone on to bigger and better things from their debuts. I think fair, um, and I appreciate him for like you know doing working on the projects that he wants to work on and the milieu that he wants to work in, um, if nothing else. Uh, I also watched uh, Snowpiercer uh, again for like the I don't know third, fourth, fifth time since twenty fourteen. Uh, listen to the podcast review because that was a lot of fun to record and that was a about. really good podcast review yeah i agree yeah and um i uh yesterday yesterday evening um i had the pleasure of watching a little independent movie that i'm sure no one has ever heard of or seen called the godfather oh right yeah yeah I think what <laughs> what <laughs> for the first time what oh my gosh Wow. Did you say first time? Yes. Did you like it? Yes, I did. Oh, my. Thank you, God. (laughs) Holy shit. I got to get props for this, for staying like three years at an Oscar site and faking it so well that (laughs) this famous Best Picture winner. That's like well played. Hey, look, there are plenty. I still have plenty of blind spots. I'm not as as good as B yet in getting through them during the <laughs> pandemic. But but Dan, I'm, that's like the king of blind I'm spots. Doing my best. <laughs> um, well, well, you know what, Dan, what's even more impressive is that you've seen like Cimarron and the Broadway melody, but you hadn't seen the Godfather. Like that's kind of impressive. Yeah. <laughs> well, because the ones that are like hard to get a hold of when I'm able to get a hold of them, I jump. The Godfather is like so well known and so available that I was like, I'll get to it someday. Yeah. It's there. You know, it's there. That That's true. Like, that's true. Yeah. Like it ain't going away anytime soon. And just in case it is, I have it on Blu-ray. Dan, I am so fascinated. And listen, I can't take up the entire podcast asking you questions. Although I really, really badly <laughs> want to right now. So bad. Um, uh, oh my god, uh, dude! My eyes have not shut since you said this. I have not blinked. I am just like, <laughs> I am freaking out right now. After <laughs> so many years of people talking about like the masterpiece of all cinema that is The Godfather, I feel like now when I watch it, I can only see its flaws, which oh. are precisely three. <laughs> as far as I can see it one is that that is a fan 
fantastic um, opening theme to the movie, and but reusing it once every five to ten minutes over the course of a movie, um, it I got a little tired of hearing it. Not gonna lie, um, but still great, great opening theme. Um, two is that everything in this movie involving women is just not good by design yeah there is a special detour in italy though that i even though i love that movie and it's probably my favorite film of all time i do think that that is one section where it does sort of falter just a little bit yeah and the scenes in italy i was just kind of like do we need to see this (laughs) Mm. um (laughs) but i could because it is it is long and it was around that point when i'm like okay the Pick up the pace, Frank. Um, uh, but yeah, <laughs> every Frank involved. <laughs> I, I don't know. I couldn't say Francis. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like everything, just everything involving women in this movie just rubbed me the wrong way, with the sole exception of the last scene with Diane Keaton, which is a just chef's kiss of an ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third is that, and this is where I'm probably going to step in it and have people yelling at me, is that I, as a film about gangsters, the mafia, etc., like this is, you know, the Naples Ultra, it's at the template for everything going forward, that's great. But as a coming-of-age story for Michael Corleone, which it also is, I, I don't think it works as well. I'm moving on because I I, 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 I can. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's one of the best character arcs in all of cinema. I will not hear this. No, it absolutely is, not. You'll change your mind after the second one. Yeah. It's yeah. honestly uh, fine. But in this movie, which this movie should, you know, all movies should stand on their own as well as work in whatever series or sequels they're working in. In this movie, it's not so much an arc as a few steps up and then leaping up several steps. Um, if you're going upstairs, for example, think of like, it as the, you're being at intermission. Like this is not I, the end or anything like that. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> I. But look, like all of those problems that I mentioned, like they completely fade away in the face of just. I mean, probably the best cross cutting in the entire history of cinema. Probably. The editing. Surprised by anything? Like any of the, you know, deaths or moments? Like did anything surprise you or are these just such a part of the culture now that you knew they were coming? I know. And like, as soon as the, um, the movie producer guy brought the horse out of his stable, I literally started laughing and got giddy because I knew it was going (laughs) to happen. And like that, (laughs) I mean, <laughs> that should give you everything you need to know yeah. about. So it. when you see a toll booth, you're like, okay, I know what's happening here. <laughs> I, yeah, no, no, actually, that one I didn't. Mm. Oh, completely surprised me. That was the only one that hadn't been transmitted down through the ether of cultural knowledge. Look how they massacred my boy. I know. <laughs> I right. also like. Um, sorry. Al Pacino is the lead and Marlon Brando is supporting. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. yeah. 
That's ridiculous and bullshit. I'm like, really, did Pacino deserve the Oscar every time except for the time that he actually won? Mm-hmm. I <laughs> ridiculous. Pretty much. You know what I say to that? <laughs> Hoo ha. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's fantastic. It, I it's it's very very well done. The um the christening scene is just. <laughs> I, I I stood up and applauded at the end of that scene because it's so fucking masterful. Um, and even with all that said, <laughs> I'd still give Cabaret Best Picture. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> no, I'd probably... Uh, I, I'd be I, fine with either, and I was fine with the look, turnout. It is one of, like, it's one of the great races of all time. Yeah. Oh, totally, yeah. Or, like, I mean, you can't go wrong with either of those movies. Just like you can't go wrong with All About Eve versus Sunset Boulevard. You know, I, it's just one of those things. I remember um, the outcome of 12 Years a Slave and Gravity thinking yeah. to myself, like, my Lord, does this have so many parallels to Cabaret versus The Godfather? It's not even funny. <laughs> you know, it's it's yeah. pretty incredible uh, when you think back on it in uh, in hindsight. It really is. This is this has been very fascinating. I I have to move on. I, like I said, I could probably take up the rest of the podcast asking you questions, uh, Dan. Believe me, I could take up the rest of the podcast talking about it. Um, please, please, please report back to us when you watch part two because part two is one of those sequels where, uh, and at the time they all thought this: Do you really need a sequel to The Godfather, etc.? But when, and to Michael's point, when you see part two and how it plays into part one and continuing the story of Michael Corleone, it makes the whole experience even better, uh, which is unbelievable to me. Um, I actually still prefer part one personally. I know there are a lot of people that prefer part two, though. As do I, but you need both of them for the full picture. Work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and part three, Dan, listen, watch it for curiosity, but... Yes. I, y- part yeah. is not bad it's not a bad movie it's just that you compare it to two masterpieces and it looks like it's terrible I, I agree with you Josh I do agree I, I don't disagree with that I just it's hard to separate that yeah. it's not as good I'm not saying like it's anywhere near the quality of one and two but I think that people unfairly compare it to them and think that it's this awful awful movie which I don't think it is apart from Sofia Coppola I think overall it's not that bad I, I do agree. I do agree. Uh, I begrudgingly agree. <laughs> All right. Um, I have a good segue here, but I have to say what I saw this week, and I'll be very, very brief with it. Um, so uh, rewatch Wild for the 2014 retrospective uh, podcast, which you can listen to. Oh. Uh, very good. Held up. I really, really enjoyed it a lot. Snowpiercer, uh, same thing. One of my favorite films of 2014. Was very, very happy to discuss that on the podcast because there's a lot to unpack with that one. And we had a great discussion. So definitely listen to that. Uh, Two new movies I saw this week. First up was Josh Trank's Capone, which (laughs) you probably saw my reaction to it on Twitter at some point, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, Josh Trank even uh, commented on it at one point. Um, I was not a fan of this movie. I know there are some people that do like it, that do think it is doing something interesting. And while I do think it is trying to do something unique that's never been done with the gangster uh, film genre before, I really thought that this was a mess. And I found absolutely no connection or reason as to why this story needed to be told and what I was supposed to be getting out of it. I thought the main character um, was so grotesque and revolting 
and so hard to identify with. And now listen, that doesn't mean he needs to be a good guy or that I need to have like a tremendous amount of empathy for him. I just need him to be fascinating enough that I like can at least follow him with a sense of curiosity um, like I would someone like Daniel Plainview and There Will Be Blood or even uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker uh, last year. This movie did not have that for me. Instead, it had Tom Hardy shitting his pants and <laughs> mumbling and, and, and like, I don't even know what that voice was. This is like the king. The king of Tom Hardy voices is in this movie and that will forever be unintelligible to people it's just it's 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 one of those movies that i think needs to be seen to be believed a little bit uh but listen if you don't if you don't ever watch it that's fine um i will say though that my thoughts are not definitive on it and because like i said there are people who like it so if you happen to watch it and you fall the other way good i actually do see the points that people are making uh that do like this movie i i fully acknowledge that they exist and i just i i, I just couldn't jive with it same thing with another new release I watched this week, Warner Brothers Scoob, uh, which went to right to uh, VOD. I saw that uh, yesterday, uh, watched that with my uh, roommate, and I liked it for the first 10 minutes. That's that's it. <laughs> uh, the first 10 minutes, they do a lot of callbacks to the original television animated series. Um, it's got the feel of the animated television series. The animation was a lot of fun. I was having a good time with it. And then the movie goes into space. And then the movie what? just goes into all these different directions. And all of a sudden, it's not a haunted house uh, story or anything like that. It's a movie that literally goes everywhere with so many pop culture references, so many uh, walk-on cameos. And like Simon Cowell is in the movie at one point. I, I listen. I get that that's what? also a callback to like the animated television series where they would have, you know, the Harlem Globetrotters or whatever, like kind of walk on for something. Mm-hmm. Simon Cowell isn't even like a pop culture thing. <laughs> He's trying to make a comeback, Michael. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, th- this was just yeah. I, it went from being really good to. I don't even know what. I lost interest very, very quickly. Mm. Well, it doesn't surprise me because I'm going to be honest with you. I never really liked Scooby-Doo, even as a kid. I even as yeah, even as a child, I always thought it just wasn't really that good. And I never really got all the big appeal of it. So it doesn't really shock me that a new movie's not that great. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive. And keep feeling film. So, tying in then to our poll from last week, uh, we asked everyone in anticipation of the release of Scoob, we asked everyone, which is your favorite adaptation of an animated television series for film? There's actually quite a lot of answers to this question, more than you would probably expect, but not all of them have been great over the years, if you ask me. Uh, Michael, what is one for you that really stands out? One that stands out for me, uh, I, I think I might be able to call this my favorite, was in 2007 when the Simpsons movie opened. I am one of the biggest Simpsons fans. Uh, I adore it. 
I've seen every episode multiple times, especially for the earlier seasons. This was such a big deal that we were getting a Simpsons movie. After years of talk, it was after nearly 20 years on the air, it was an event. While the movie itself is not as good as those early seasons, nothing really is as good as the first few seasons of The Simpsons, this was still a very funny, very heartfelt, very Simpsons-esque experience. And it was just, it felt right. And I just so enjoyed seeing that and have continued to enjoy it since. Okay. All righty. Uh, Bianca, what about you? Oh, this is tough. Because um, like you say, there's not many that are particularly good. I just keep thinking of like Rocky and was uh, Rocky and Burwinkle? Rocky and Rocky Bullwinkle. 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 Uh, Written by Kenneth know. Lonergan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know it's like an American thing, so it's not really something that we have over here. But I just remember watching that as a kid and just being like, this is awful. What's Robert De Niro doing in this? Um, but <laughs> I suppose if I had to think of, I, I did kind of like uh, Detective Pikachu. That is kind of, it was kind of cute. And as a being a huge Pokemon fan growing up, I did really appreciate that. But that's not really... Um, straight adaptation, but that's the best that I can come up with at the moment. Okay. The thing about Rocky and Bullwinkle is that if you grew up like watching that show, the movie itself, it's not a great movie, but some of the casting in that movie, like De Niro, Jason Alexander, and Rene Russo, is so pitch perfect. I agree. Based on the original characters, that it's not a perfect movie, but it works for what it is. Yeah, I didn't grow up with the show, so um, I have I, I was completely lost on me, and I just remember it being just really, oh, really, really bad. Yeah. Even if you're even not as, in the loop, yeah, yeah it, I could see where it's like totally, you know, something different. Like it's the whole thing's like a satire on the American broadcasting system, and I can't mm-hmm. believe that movie got made. But the fact that it did is like, oh, I, I give you credit for that. That's actually, you know, unique. <laughs> Alrighty, Josh Parm. Well, it is my opinion that Batman Mask of the Phantasm is actually better than probably most of the live action Batman movies in existence right now. Same. Um, I I think that movie is actually really smart in the way that it goes about telling a very kind of actually adult story. And I think it is amazing. I I truly do believe it is one of the best Batman films ever just across all mediums. And I absolutely love that film. Rebecca? Does a goofy movie count? It definitely does. Yeah, (laughs) I used to love that movie when I was younger and watch it like all the time. Pure 90s nostalgia right there. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I just saw it for the first time a few weeks ago and, you know, had a blast watching it. Got myself a notion. (laughs) (laughs) It's a classic. Uh, Righty, Dan Bear. uh, Are we talking specifically adaptations of animated shows yes yes in this case yes okay because like i i had to catch myself because i was going to say the adams family and then remembered that the cartoon was released after the movies were so yeah um i can't say that uh does space jam count yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely it does I that movie was the shit when I was in sixth grade. <laughs> um, and I have a soft place in my heart for my rebellious uh, younger years of watching South Park bigger, longer and uncut. So I have to go with that. <laughs> that's very good. Song to, in that that's movie. the real answer. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> transitioning. I wasn't allowed to watch the television show when I was younger. 
So when the movie came out and it was raunchier than the television show, my parents were like trying so hard to keep it away from me. And it only made me want to watch it more. So, yeah, definitely that. All right. Let's see what the community voted on here. Yeah, I want to hear what they have to say because there's some interesting ones. Number 10. You know, this is an interesting one because I'm going to I'm going to let this one go because I do believe that this is more so based on uh, the comic. Uh, but there was an animated television show airing at the time, and I know that they borrowed some elements from it, so I think it does count here. Uh, this is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in at number 10. Yes! But which version? That's what we need I'm, to I'm, know. I'm assuming this is the original first film. Oh, thank God. Yeah. The first one was so much fun. Agreed. Number nine is Pokemon, the first movie. <laughs> oh, no. Mew, Mewtwo, the showdown of the century. Oh, boy. I remember that. I remember seeing that in the theaters. Same here. When Pikachu dies, oh, Ash dies even. That's, like, heartbreaking for a 10-year-old. Yeah, I know. And then the tears bring them back. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Number eight, Space Jam. There you go. Ooh. Number seven, a cult classic. By the Wachowskis, Speed Racer. That is not a bad movie. Oh, that is that not. Is, I really like that movie. Yeah, I don't really subscribe to the notion that it's like this undiscovered masterpiece, but it has a lot more redeeming qualities in it than I think it had any right to have. Yeah. Number six. Ron Howard's Dr. Seuss is How the Grinch Stole. Oh, no. There are elements there that truly do work. But overall, it's lacking a heart, which is really ironic for that movie. <laughs> uh, Jim Carrey's very funny. Yeah, he's committed. Uh, it's got literally uh, some of the wackiest costume and production design not to be found in a Tim Burton movie that I've ever seen. That is true. That is and true. And Christine Baranski is like having the time of her life, which I appreciate. <laughs> Number five. The SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Okay. It is just very entertaining when they go to land. That's all I'll say. <laughs> okay. Uh, number four is Batman Mask of the Phantasm. All right. Mm-hmm. Number three, a goofy movie. Nice. And number one, number two, by a difference of three votes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Number two is The Simpsons movie. There we go. And number one is South Park Bigger Longer and uncut. Woot. You can blame Canada for that one. All right. So now for this week's uh, poll, we are asking everyone. Well, we ask this question actually a couple of times a year. And given the theme of this week's show with uncertainty with theaters and with award season and everything else, uh, we want to do a bit of a temperature check on everyone right now at this time of the year. What do you think will be the next best picture Oscar winner? <laughs> oh yes oh yes i believe this time last year i think i was still holding firm to the irishman if i remember correctly yep i think i think most of us were it was kind of like just a a fill-in at the time i wait no oh no no i had not switched to 1917 yet and i know that parasite uh for a lot of people didn't actually start you know, creeping its way into everyone's best picture predictions until the, the full festival. film festivals uh, started. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's, it, it continued its canned success essentially. Alrighty. Uh, Michael, what's in your number one slot as of today? 
Oh, goodness. Well, I actually just went back to look at my initial predictions that I did in February. And according to that, In the Heights is going to win Best Picture. Oh, so, <laughs> uh, That ain't happening yeah, anymore. them a little bit. Yeah. Uh, oh, goodness. It, it's tough to say because we don't know what's going to hit. So just looking at movies that I think could be in the conversation, that's how I'm going to you know view this. Maybe Mank, because that's finished from what I understand and could be dropping this fall. Okay. I, too, have Mank as my number one right now. A, a, a movie about the making of Cinephiles' number one movie of all time, directed by David Fincher, who's overdue, black and white, Netflix. Checks off a lot of boxes. We'll see. Bianca, what about you? Um, I don't have a single clue. Um, let's just say Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Josh Parham. Well, I do think that Mank is a pretty good answer, and it probably is the one that I'm thinking of right now. But to be just a little bit different, and I know that this is probably very wrong, but who knows what's going to happen right now because we're in unprecedented times. I still have this weird feeling about West Side Story, and I just feel like it has ingredients that can hit just at the right time that people really respond to it. That I and it like I said, it probably won't happen, but who knows at this point? And so that's what I'm going to say. All right, all right, Rebecca. David Venture is my favorite director, and I rarely leave a movie of his disappointed. So I'm definitely going with Mank right now. Yeah, I would be very, very shocked if Mank, because I, I have to admit, on paper, um, I know I gave a lot of reasons as to why I think Mank will be good, but this old script written by his father. Um, the fact that Gary Oldman is the biggest name in the cast, I, I, I don't know. There's There are certain things about it that are kind of holding me back just ever so slightly from going like full tilt with it. But yet it still has like all those um, checked off boxes like I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Dan Baer, what about you? Um, for all those reasons that you said, I feel like the smart money is on Mank, but whoever said I had smart money in my hands, <laughs> I'm going with uh, the French Dispatch. Yeah, that's a good choice. Huge cast. Wes Anderson knows how to make something light and fun, but also potentially make it sticky. Um, so I, because I think like that's more of the feeling that people are going to want to see potentially. And also like, I mean, a movie celebrating journalists, that's a way it could, this could potentially be a way to award something that is sort of fun and entertaining, but also make a subtle point, which the Academy is often want to do. So yeah, that's mine. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, uh, everyone can head on over to the polls page on nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote on there. Uh, give us your best guess, everyone. No one really knows at this time, and some of these movies might get delayed even further. But as of today, I mean, let's put it this way. If you get it right, you got bragging rights forever, essentially, yes. if you can co correctly predict this. To put this all in perspective, this time last year, I just looked. My prediction was the Aeronauts. Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, oh. my God. <laughs> oh, Michael. Followed so by sorry. Just Mercy and Fair and Balanced. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All righty. Okay, so now what I want to do is this. Um, I want to transition over into our trailer discussion right now, uh, which is going to be supposedly 
uh, the first movie that is going to be released in theaters uh, for this year post-COVID. At least that's what uh, the studio is saying. This is Unhinged, starring Russell Crowe. It is slated to be released on July 1st. And... Well, let's take a look at the trailer, and, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. Come on, man. Go! You know what a courtesy tap is, young man? Sounds like this. It's light. It's friendly. I'm sure that's what your mom meant to do. No, it's not. Mom! Having a kind of a hard time lately. I'm sorry. Accept my apology? Just ignore him. Well, if you could just do the same, we could press reset. I don't have anything to apologize for. Can you go, please? Ma'am, are you okay? I'm pretty sure the guy in that truck's following me. He's road raging. Why don't you just chill, man? Go your own way. I don't think you really know what a bad day is. But you're gonna find out. That man stole my phone. Andy? I'm sitting here. I'm waiting for you. Uh, whose phone is this? I'm right across from your friend. Hey, listen to me. Uh, he's not a friend, okay? He's a psycho who came after me today. This is where your first lesson begins. Give me my phone. Put him back on this goddamn phone! No, I can't do that. What do you want? I need you to learn what a bad day really is. Sorry. And you're gonna learn through violence and retribution. Sounds like you're waking up. I'm wide awake. You better bring your A game. Because you're gonna need it. No. <laughs> just no when tenant was in that slot of like oh this is the first movie that people will go see in theaters um i i, I will say this in regards to that that was definitely a lot more exciting however if unhinged wants to put its head on the chopping block and be the guinea pig essentially uh so that this way audiences can feel better about maybe going to the movies a few days later to go see tenant then unhinged is the sacrificial lamb that i uh, bravo bravo thank you for being that uh movie because someone has to be <laughs> this doesn't seem like a movie you would go to the theater to. exactly it, really does not. Yeah. it, it just feels like it, it should be on netflix i agree I mean, Netflix, like VOD. <laughs> like, if this is gonna be the first movie to test the waters to be like a rebound from COVID nineteen, I just don't know. Even if COVID nineteen didn't exist, if people would go see this anyway. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, Russell Crowe has not had has not headlined a good movie 
this decade. Uh, excuse me, excuse me. The nice guys exists. Okay, fine. The nice guys, but he co-headlined that with Ryan Reynolds. Fair enough. Fair. He was good in Boy Erased. Uh, yes, he was. He was excellent in Boy Erased. Yes, Race. he was actually. That's a good point too. But he wasn't a headliner to Dan's point. Like, yeah, so like, true. He, okay, yeah, so his own movie. The track record. I mean, Russell Crowe's time was definitely that 1997 to two to 2007. That was his decade. And since then, it's a little rough. Well, the pounds have definitely packed on. That's for sure. <laughs> I just don't get the the point of this movie. It just feels like it's something we've seen before. Angry white man. (laughs) Angry white man, Bianca. (laughs) Going after, like, it it again feels just so targeted to a certain... I will say this. It's like... They knew that the people who would want to see this movie are also the people who will be pushing to get out of their homes and into the movie theaters as soon as possible. So kudos for, you know, spying an opportunity and running with it. Well, shit, Dan, you just drew the connection between the dots there. Um, I will say that this is the first movie from Solstice Studios, a brand new studio that was founded in 2018. Uh, This is actually their first release. Now, listen, okay, I'm going to see this because it's Russell Crowe. And I'll be honest, it looks like he is camping the hell out of this movie. (laughs) I don't know what that teeth grinding look is that he gives her at one point. I just I can't. I can't. <laughs> that is going to easily be our cover photo for this podcast. <laughs> oh no! Does he uh, sing the theme song of Unhinged? But <laughs> <laughs> up. It reminded me of uh, Reese Witherspoon's character in Big Little Lies. Oh, <laughs> Unhinged. Um, oh, Lord. oh yeah <laughs> oh my gosh really michael <laughs> madeline mckenzie i know i know it's just like where do you how does your mind work <laughs> uh bit of sad news i tried to spread out the sad news uh this week uh from the opening until now uh we lost uh two people on the same day actually uh this week uh we bo- we lost uh lynn sheldon and we also lost uh, Fred Willard as well. Um, anyone want to just say anything in regards to their, uh, into, you know, in regards to their work? Uh, I mean, both of them should be Oscar nominees. Just two really different type of creative geniuses, yet they worked sort of along the lines of improv in unique ways. And that was really, you know, interesting that they both went on this within the same time frame because, you know, not that they ever worked together that I know of. It's just... It was weird that you have two improv adjacent people and this is what happens. It's so sad. Yeah, it, it was very tragic to get that news like back to back of those two people passing away. And and you're right, very unique talents in what they were doing, but so specific in trying to do the best that they could in those areas. And it, yeah, it's just a tremendous loss. I mean, you know, it, it seemed like that um, Fred Willard was kind of sick for a while and not, you know, passing in 86, it's tragic, but you know, sort of understandable. But Lynn Shelton, you know, 54, I'm like, my God, it's beyond tragedy right there. Mm-hmm. And my heart goes out to Mark Marin. Mm, yeah. I saw a really, really good tweet though. Uh, 
that said, uh, Fred Willard's performance was so good in Wally that they didn't even need to animate him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just his endless roles in Christopher Guest movies, too. Like, every single one of them is gold. Yeah, Absolutely. I loved his performances in those movies. I just saw this morning a clip from Waiting for Guffman when he's doing his uh, movie quotes and getting them all wrong. And he goes, here's looking at you, babe. <laughs> <laughs> I he's so him and Catherine O'Hara are so brilliant in that movie. I do have to ask this question for anyone that has seen it. I have not watched it yet. Little Fires Everywhere. So good. So, you know exquisitely directed she doesn't do all of them lynn shelton but she does i think at least three or four episodes she does half of them oh really okay, yeah yeah then i guess yeah so about four episodes including the finale and the pilot yeah and the finale uh really has a lot going on there she just adds a sense of gravity and human qualities to already great writing and it makes the show what it is she really did a lot of t- terrific television work in addition to her handful of films she did that she did the show dickinson on uh, apple tv plus an episode of the morning show uh and you could just tell she was just getting started which makes this all the more tragic i agree i saw a film uh an indie film by her called sword of trust which unfortunately yeah. now is her last mm. uh movie uh but that was a really really good dark comedy that I really, yeah, I really enjoyed. Is great in it. Yeah. It's just very sad. sad. Very sad. We also lost Jerry Stiller this week, which was, you know, a big loss. Oh, that yeah. Really that was sad. this week, too. My gosh. It's been a rough week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, we all know and love him from Seinfeld. And to go back to our animated TV shows, he was on a Teacher's Pet, if anyone remembers that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just looking at his filmography, this was a guy who had some, like, real film history. He was a... Uh, Lieutenant Patron in Taking a Pelham 123. Oh, right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Damn. he's so good in that. Uh, had a Broadway history where he was in the original production and film adaptation of The Ritz by Terrence McNally. Yeah. And uh, Harris Bray, of course, with Divine. He played a Wilbur Turnblad and then had a cameo in the 2007 film as Mr. Pinky. You know, just always great to see him in TV and theater and He's just a presence. And of course, Ben Stiller is so great, his son, and he's going to be missed. All right. All right. Moving on from that, rest in peace to all of them. I uh, want to give a shout out, actually, to our friend Will Mavity, who wrote this really, really in depth, really good. Guys, if you have not read this article on his reflection back on the best sound editing category, so good. he worked on this thing tirelessly for over a month, collected interviews with people within the industry, uh, including legendary sound editor Ben Burt, who created the sound of Star Wars, essentially. The legend. I mean... Wally. You guys need... Thanks, Michael. (laughs) You guys need to check this out. Uh, This was a really, really great piece, and... It's currently still sitting on the blog page of nextbestpicture.com. Uh, so shout out to Will Mavity. Tremendous work on that. Hi, guys. I'm Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey Podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies? Oh, 
me, guys. I, uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey podcast, but since then, I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey podcast. Oi, bro. I know I said the IMDb Journey podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely for sure. Yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey podcast. The IMDb Journey podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. <laughs> oh, amazing oh, testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. Alrighty. Questions. From the fans. What do we got this week? Scott Kernan asks, what are some of your least favorite Best Picture nominations you are certain would have still gotten into a Best Picture uh, lineup in a year of five? Green Book? That's 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 definitely one for me. <laughs> See, I, would I would say that Bohemian Rhapsody probably yeah. makes it into the five, and that to me is far so, worse. So, oh no. I don't know about that one. I was thinking about that too uh, when he, Dan just said Green Book, but I'm, I'm convinced I don't think it would have gotten in. You don't think that I that think movie would, that had yeah. all those Oscars that got in at SAG Ensemble that had made all that money, you don't think that got into a five? I don't. Absolutely, it would have. I, I think it would have I for sure. I, an actor and editing yeah. win, I think that is in the five. In 2018, <laughs> the three that wouldn't have made it in most likely would have been Black Panther, Vice, and A Star is Born. Oh, A Star is Born would have definitely made it in. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking A Star is Born would have made it in. Well, I don't think it would have. No, I'm, I'm feeling the so Bohemian. Either. Director and editing misses? But 10 nominations. Mm, didn't You're get 10 nominations. I, they got eight. Should have gotten 10 nominations with that director and editing Yeah, mess. I was seeing people's <laughs> predictions. Sorry. No, but it was even still eight. Like, that would have been one of the most nominated to miss Best Picture, and I don't think that would have happened. Would have been I tied with been like a Dream Girl situation, though. Man, that's... Yeah, that's crazy, man. I think you are fooling yourself if you don't think Bohemian Rhapsody was in the five. I know we all don't want to believe that, but I'm telling you, the amount of money that <laughs> movie made, thing. Like, I literally, all those builds. That's the thing, Matt. Like Josh, like I can't believe it. I just, I'll, 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 I'll just, I'll, I'll just say it. It's not my least favorite, but I'll just say because y'all are thinking it. Joker would have been in the five. Of course it would have. Yeah. That's hey. not up for debate. Yeah. No, I know. I'm just saying it's someone's least favorite here, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> Many things to say. But... <laughs> Man, these last these last two years have been pretty wonky, huh? <laughs> For best picture. Uh, you know what? I, I, I wonder, um, I have to, because I got that director uh, nomination for Gibson, uh, I think Hacksaw Ridge, m- maybe. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. One film editing. Yeah. yeah that... Ugh, why? All right, next question. Okay, so there are films that have been nominated for directing, acting, and writing, but did not receive a Best Picture nomination. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna list uh, some options here, okay? And if you're gonna put it into the Best Picture lineup, what are you taking out? Oh gosh. All right, so uh, one of them that's listed here. Uh, we'll start off with an easy one. They shoot horses, don't they? That was 1969, right? That's 1969. Oh, Lord. Oh, I gotta... All right, so for 1969, Best Picture nominees that year are Z, Hello, Dolly, 
Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, and of the Thousand Days and Midnight Cowboy. I, mean, I guess Anne of the Thousand Days I would take out, but I haven't seen it, so that feels unfair. Hello, Dolly! The musical is one of my favorite things in the entire world, but that movie is not the musical. Oh, I love that movie. I, th- I mean, I haven't seen Hello, Dolly, but from what I read about, it do- kind of sounds like a mess, but like a delightful one. But does, oh, it's a delight, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, but is it a best picture? Probably not. I don't know. Um, so I would take that out. You got you got to keep Butch Cassidy and Midnight Cowboy. That's mm-hmm. just like the rule. And Z, and Z, definitely. Yes. Like yes. Z, arguably should have won. I'm taking out Anne of the Thousand Days because I have not seen it. Off with her head. All right, next one up here: <laughs> Bullets Over Broadway. That's 1994, and we have The Shawshank Redemption, Quiz Show, Pulp Fiction, Four Weddings and a Funeral, and Forrest Gump. Uh, I will answer first by saying I would not have put it in. Uh, agreed. Same. Like I, I'm not taking out any of those. Yeah, I would put though. it in. Yeah, Michael, what are you taking out? Four weddings. <laughs> no, Mm-mm. I can't. I just can't. Uh, 1998, Truman Show, Finn Red Line, Saving Private Ryan, Life Is Beautiful, Elizabeth, and Shakespeare in Love. Oh, Shakespeare in Love. No, <laughs> not at all. Not even Bianca <laughs> with the hot take. She's mm. taking out the best picture winner. Yeah. I mean, oh, life I, is beautiful. Yeah. That can go. Uh, life is beautiful can go for me as well, especially since it's winning foreign language film. Uh, and listen, that's not to say, you know, oh, I'm not trying to like draw a comparison with like Parasite. Like, oh, would I have been OK with so and so? Listen, I just don't think life is beautiful is that great. Yeah, it's not that great. I, I have to disagree. Like, it's better than Elizabeth. Agreed. Yeah, that's what I would take out as Elizabeth. Uh, people misremember Elizabeth because Kate Blanchett is so great in it. And like she is, but she's not even as good as you remember. Like it's not that great a movie. Sorry about it. <laughs> you don't even get, I too can command the wind, sir. <laughs> <laughs> False advertising. <laughs> and then the last one here, 1999 being John Malkovich. Uh, we have the sixth sense, the insider, the green mile, the cider house rules and American beauty. Cider House rules. Yeah, yeah it does rule. Or Green Mile. <laughs> of them both can go. <laughs> oh, no. Green Mile's good. Michael, do you like being John Malkovich? Uh-uh. I do, yes. Do you like much. it more than any of these five? I like it more than the Green Mile. All right, there you go. All righty. Uh, next question. Oh, man. Ethan May is back. Oh, great. <sighs> oh, love it. <laughs> Choose what movie the actor filmmaker should have won an Oscar for, but you're knowingly replacing the winner of that year. Okay, so he gives us a list of actors and directors. We got to give him an Oscar somewhere, but we are replacing the winner. Deborah Winger. Oh, my goodness. What? Okay, we're. I'm going to look at 2008 here, not in terms of endearment. I was thinking the same thing, Michael. I was. Yeah. Because you can't take it away from Shirley MacLaine. No. But I will happily give it to her for Rachel getting married, for which she definitely should have been nominated. But the problem there is that Rosemary DeWitt should have been nominated. Uh, I'm actually on a DeWitt train, yeah. (laughs) But if you're like, if you have to pick something, though, like that, I think is the one that you would do. I agree that I prefer Rosemary DeWitt, but if I have to give Deborah Wing an Oscar somewhere, it would be still for that movie. Yeah, because I can't. I guess. Oh. 
Guys, this is this is hard. Um, I can't take it away from Meryl Streep for Sophie's Choice. Exactly. I can't take it away from Shirley MacLaine, like you guys just said. Uh, I don't want to take it away from Holly Hunter for the piano. No. <laughs> okay, fine. That's I'll the make only it easy. option. Fine, I'll make it easy for everyone, and with apologies to Ryan C. Showers, we replace Amy Adams in doubt. Hmm. <clears throat> She is easily the least of those. But but, but but no no no. This is giving them an Oscar, not a nomination. Oh well, fuck that then. She's not better than Penelope Cruz. <laughs> she is. Guys, I don't know what to do. What about okay? What about for Urban Cowboy, uh, Best Supporting Actress, nineteen eighty? Who? Uh, who? Uh, Mary Steenburgen for Melvin Howard that year. No, I'm not taking that away either. Sorry. No can do for leap of faith. <laughs> no stale. You know what, Michael? Uh, Dan Rever. I have not seen Melvin and Howard, so I will. I, I just to answer the question, I will do that. <laughs> Melvin and Howard is a great movie, though. You should see that. At yeah, some point. I should add it to the yeah. list. And Mary and Mary Steenburgen is great in it. It is a Jonathan Demi film, and I, I, I haven't seen it, so I, I am going to write it down. And it's short. It's like 80 some minutes, I think. All right. Unless I'm misremembering that. I just remember maybe that's in my mind. It's short. Next up, Robert Altman. OK, um, I'm going to be very controversial here and say that I'm not that big a fan of Robert Altman, to be honest. No. No. I just most of his films, I just did. They don't really respond to me. I, I don't know what it is. I've just never been that big Shh. of a fan. However, however, there is one movie that he has made that I do consider to be absolutely just top to down, top to bottom, great. And that is McCabe and Mrs. Miller. It is one of my favorite films of all time. And I have no issue with saying that he should have won Best Director for that. That's a good film. It's a very good film. What about I, Nashville? Yeah, I was going to say, like, I got to give it to him for Nashville. Uh, much as I love One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Nashville is... Uh, mm-hmm. If Milos Foreman is still winning for Amadeus, then I would, yeah. I would do yeah. Nashville. That's my yeah. consolation. Yeah, good choice. Yeah, I'm going to go back a few years. I'm going to go to 1970 and give it to him for MASH over uh, Patton. That's a decent option, too. Yeah, I'm, I also can, would consider giving it to him for two women or three women. But I forget what year that was actually Oscar eligible. <laughs> Came out in 1977. This one, uh, this one might prove to be a little difficult. I don't know. We'll see. Marco Martindale. Oh, Hmm. She has not give her the win yet. Yeah, I would never give her the win. I don't even know that I'd even give her a nomination, frankly. She's more of a TV great than a movie great so far. Yeah, she doesn't have a yeah. ton of like really great movie roles. And if they are, it's all they're like cameos. Yeah, essentially. She could easily get a great part and like win on her first nomination with the right role though. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. See, she could have done for August Osage County if that had been, you know, anything reminiscent of the play. Yeah, and and that's really the only time that she's even come close. So, uh, okay, so if our answer for Margot Martindale is, you know, hasn't gotten there, can't think of one. The next one that he listed here, he even wrote in parentheses, this one's just for fun, uh, is Michael Bay. But I think the uh, answer <laughs> still applies in regards to, I can't think of one. Nope. <laughs> 
Well, Look, I love pain and gain as much as the next guy, but <laughs> it's not Oscar worthy. Sorry. I'm not giving Michael Bay an Oscar anywhere. Well, I mean, not as director. Like, the other things in his movies have been worthy sometimes, but I never would have given him for best director. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah, if you want to look at producing work, if you, like, had to give him an Oscar. No, there's nothing a there. He on A Quiet Place. He was <sighs> on A Quiet Place, and I'm sure we can all agree, even though that's not a Best Picture winner in our minds, probably a better one than Green Book was in 2018. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, he's credited here in IMDb as having an acting role as wedding MC in Bad Boys for Life, and we don't know how those acting races are going to shape out this year. So. <laughs> You never know what could happen. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, this is a good one. 2007, Hairspray. No. No. Wait, hold on. That was uh, Batman Returns was 92? That's correct. Yeah. It was 92. And she was taken away from Will yesterday. They campaigned her lead. Well, she was campaigned as lead. But she's not. Like, and... Although, well, no, I wouldn't have given it to her over Emma Thompson, but as much as I love Marissa Tomei, easily would have given it to her for for that. What about um, Dangerous Liaisons over Gina Davis? No, nah, Gina Davis is really good. I haven't seen uh, National no, Tour. No, I, 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 oh, that that is a, mm, that is a good <laughs> one. I actually might. Yeah, but even so, then you still have uh, Sigourney Weaver and Working Girl to compete against. You know what, though, if I if I can't do that, then I would do Fabulous Baker Boys over Jessica Tandy. Oh yeah. Oh no. Oh, yeah, that's, the, that's the one. I, I listen. That's that's great that you like Jessica Tandy and all, but is that really a Best Actress winning performance to you? Over Actually, Meg Ryan was, but she wasn't Baker even Boys. nominated. Well, yeah. <laughs> all right. She is terrific in Baker Boys, though. Her scene on the piano there, like, that's one of those yeah, movies you remember. Yeah, exactly. Legendary. Oh, recently announced uh, box set coming to Criterion, Agnes Varda. Yes. Oh, yes. I I screamed <laughs> when, that, when I got that email, like, oh, my God, yes. Same, Dan. It should come with that cutout that they brought of her around the circuit. No. Which is my answer to this question. I think that should have won the Oscar for best documentary that year. I I like Icarus. I really do. Um No, it I love Faces Places though. It's so good. Icarus is so specious. Like, sorry. It Okay. Alright. I'll Yeah. I'll I'll go I'll I'll do it. That's fine. That's okay. <laughs> Last one. Composer. Carter Burwell. Carol. That's a very, Far very away. easy answer for me. Yeah. Carol. Yeah. I love this score of Fargo. Fargo. Yeah. You guys will be surprised to hear me say this. Better, like, best score of that year, even over Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, absolutely. And I And you guys know I love Mad Max, but that score for Carol is just... Mm. All time. Mm-hmm. Chef's kiss. Absolutely. Uh, okay. This one comes from that CM guy, 1988. I recently re- rewatched Center Stage uh, again. Ever since, uh, ever since I watched it 13 years ago for the 20th anniversary, I forgot how magical and lovely this film uh, was. Um, it deserves to be a classic. Uh, in uh, uh, it deserves to be a classic of its time. Is there any movie that you guys recently rewatched and you forgot how good it was? Hmm. 
Well, this is oh. actually sort of interesting. I just actually tweeted something about this. Um, this week, I actually did rewatch A Most Violent Year, which is a movie that I had on my top 10 initially, but I hadn't probably seen it since it came out. And since we're doing the whole 2014 retrospective, I kind of felt like revisiting it. And that movie is so good. And I forgot how much I got so invested in that story, which actually does feel a little bit like Michael Corleone in The Godfather, not quite as dramatic, but sort of just this person faced with these very extraordinary circumstances and trying to navigate them as best as possible. I think it's an astounding story and a really great performance, especially from uh, Oscar Isaac. Yeah, I remember Oscar Isaac seemed to be channeling Pacino in that movie a lot, I remember. And I, I agree, Josh, that movie is really, really solid and definitely holds up. I said this on the podcast recently, so I, I can't not say it because anyone that listens to our reviews knows that I already admitted this. But Dawn of the Planet of the Apes shocked me on a rewatch with how good I thought it was. Same. I recently reacquainted myself with the movie In Her Shoes which I hadn't seen in a couple years and just remembered how much I love that movie and the performances and the writing and the woman who goes my Marsha. And it's a really good movie. <laughs> had you forgotten though how much you love that movie, Michael? I hadn't seen it in such a long time that it was sort of just a blur to me. Like I remember the general premise, but yeah. not, you know, everything that I loved about it. And then I watched it actually on a plane. It's a perfect plane movie. And I was like, well, <laughs> this is just like, you know, a movie I could watch again and again. Rebecca, Bianca. I rewatched um, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button the other day, and oh. I remembered how much I love that movie. That movie's so depressingly sad. <laughs> I think it's David a masterpiece. It's not but beautifully as sad as so. other stuff. Yeah, like it's kind of whimsical, too. I feel like that movie in particular um, was like the boyhood of its time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's the most humane movie. Yeah, I, oh, definitely, yeah. I agree with that. And the story is so interesting, like the way he ages backwards. It's just such a unique premise. Yeah. I have to rewatch that. <sighs> so good. I have not rewatched it since I uh, bought the Blu-ray uh, back in like 2009 or 10 or something. I don't remember how really? long ago. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, you need yeah, to rewatch it. I haven't it. either. Mm. Yeah. I just remember, I, I remember it being, it's one of those movies that has always stayed in my mind and it hasn't left. Yeah, I'm I'm ready. I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to rewatch yeah, that. Yeah. That gets yeah. better and better. I've seen it like a it's half time. dozen times since 2008 and it just gets better and better as it goes along. It does. I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to do that today, guys. And I will I I you know what I'll do? I'll do that literally today and I will tweet you all. And I will uh I will give you my in the moment reaction to it. Okay. <laughs> uh Bianca? Oh, what what have I seen? Uh gone back and rewatched um you know what? I haven't actually. I rarely go back and rewatch films unless I really need to watch them. I suppose um, I did go back and watch I Tonya, um, even though that came out quite recently. But I just wanted to go back because I was just thinking about after watching Margot Robbie in Birds of Prey uh, and not being that impressed with the movie overall. I, I really like prefer her in more serious roles. I think and. I, Tonya, is she's just so good in that. You know what I will say about her performance in Birds of Prey? Because I, I did just recently rewatch that again, uh, Bianca, because it came out on Blu-ray. Um, she is so committed to that character mm. in regards to, like, physicality, mm. mannerisms. Like, it, it's a true, quote-unquote, like, performance 
You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's just the rest. It's just she's given such bad dialogue, and really, none of the other characters are given anything to do. I I feel that. Uh, I completely agree, Bianca. But she, in I, Tonya, you know that she's actually given some decent material, and she's really going for it. Oh yeah. So I and do you do you guys remember? I thought she was going to win. Ah. She should have won. Yeah. For I, Tanya? Yeah. You thought she was going to win? I There was a... <laughs> before the Frances McDormand train, like, really took off with her sweeping, I had this uh, feeling that Margot Robbie was going to be, like, the new ingenue that was going to be crowned with I, Tanya. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. Last question, everyone. Josh Blumenkrantz, McBlooster118, asks, What is a movie... In the movie theater, I want to preface by saying this, that you watched twice within 24 hours. Oh, Inception. La La Land. Me too. It was La La Land the first weekend it was out. I have two answers to this question. Uh, and they both happened around the same time, back-to-back years. 2009, I went to the movies, and I went there uh, in the afternoon to see a highly rated war film on Rotten Tomatoes called The Hurt Locker. And I emerged from that movie so hyped and so much adrenaline pumping <laughs> through my body that I called all of my friends. Hey, guys, anybody want to go see a movie tonight? Anyone want to go see a movie tonight? And whoever said yes, I went and I all brought them to go see The Hurt Locker again that evening. I thought it was that good. Wow. Wow. Mm. That's kind of like we we just yeah. what like we saw Inception and then we couldn't stop talking about it afterwards and then the very next day we went and saw it again. Bianca, my second one is also Inception. Only yeah, this this one's so even good. crazier. I saw it at midnight back when they did midnight uh, first screenings on Thursday night uh, before it's released on Friday. Loved it so much. Saw the first <laughs> showing the next morning at whatever it was nine ten a.m. whatever it is. Then, same thing, guys, hit up all my friends, and I went a third time that evening to see it again. It was, my mind was just, my mind exploded when I saw Inception at the time. (laughs) In 2013, I saw The Wolf of Wall Street opening day on Christmas on the 25th, which is Wednesday, and I saw it again on Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. Wow. I saw Wolf of Wall Street five times, Michael, so I just don't know if it was within 24 hours. I did see it a fifth time, but it was like... Two months later. So I saw four days back to back to back. And then uh, like right before I left theaters. Well, I remember Mad Max Fury Road. I saw that twice in the same week. And I remember going on like uh, that Thursday night uh, premiere to see it and being blown away by it. And then like the next night, I also called all my friends and said, I have to show you this movie. We have to go see it. I uh, I remember Mad Max for me was also Thursday at midnight, right. but I didn't go Friday. <laughs> My friends got back to me for Saturday, so not within the 24-hour window, but same story. <laughs> I My two stories are really interesting because one, like I said before, is La La Land, but it was the second and third time that I had seen it because the first time I saw it at a pre-release screening, they had a, a talk back with uh, Pasek and Paul and I think uh, Mark Platt too. And I got like advanced tickets because I had to see it because new musical and had gotten such great reviews in Venice. And uh, yeah, but that was the second and third time that I saw it was opening night and the day after. But the first time I ever did it was Enchanted. 
Oh, such a good movie. <laughs> yes. Because I, I saw it with um, a friend of mine on opening night, and I had such a good time. And I went back home, and I told my partner at the time, I'm like, I I have to take the, you to see this, because you are <laughs> going to love this movie. And we went the next day, and we both laughed our way through the whole thing. It's It was so good. Nice. I remember in 2012, I saw Argo opening night on a Friday at like 8 o'clock. And then the next day I was driving somewhere with my family telling them about how great it was. We were just like out you know, doing errands. I'm like, this movie's so good. We have to see it at some point. And there was a movie theater right across from the store. And they're like, you want to go now? I'm like, yeah. So we went at two o'clock to see it, like not even 24 hours later. And then later that year, I remember seeing, I think I'm the only person outside of Judd Apatow to do this, to see This is 40 twice, once on Friday, once on Saturday. Oi. I fell 40 by the time that movie was over. That's for sure. (laughs) I still haven't seen it. All right, everyone. Well, that'll do it here for this week, episode 194. Thank you all so, so much for listening. Michael, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Bianca Gardner. You can find me at the Film B and also check out my Share Sunday thread as well. Really, really like that. I love that you uh, definitely yes. uh, highlighted a lot of great voices out so there in their good. work. Really, really enjoyed that. Dan Bear. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on film. Rebecca Daniel. You can find me on Twitter at Rebecca Daniel 95. Josh Parm. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parm. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 194 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player, FMA, Cast, CastBox, also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.